You know, we are so busy as a culture that sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes we're so busy that we miss the most important thing or the main thing. Like, so for example, one, one example that came to mind for me is, moms, you know this, when you're like planning your kid's birthday party, right? Like your kid, let's say your kid recently went to Billy's birthday party. And Billy's mom nailed it, right? Like the whole class was talking about Billy's mom like she was a hero for months. And you've been bitter ever since. You are determined next birthday party, you're going to decimate Billy's mom, right? You're gonna, and so, so you know how it is. You've got to have the theme, right? It's got to go through the whole thing. And the cake has to be awesome and match the theme. And then there's the party favors. And of course, for activities, you not only got the clown, you also got the pony and the inflatables. And now the clown is on the pony in the inflatables. Right? Like, and it is awesome. It is awesome. And you wake up the next morning and you realize you forgot to tell your kid happy birthday. Right? Like you forgot, you forgot to say, honey, I am so glad God made you and gave you as a gift to our family. I celebrate your life. Happy birthday. You see, you got so caught up in the activity of it, you missed the most important thing of the moment. And that is what is on display in our passage this morning. We as a congregation are going through the Gospel of Luke because Jesus came and this changes everything. And so we're just in awe looking at Jesus. And now we come toward the end of chapter 10. And we'll pick it up in verse 38. And here's the story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's a great, great story. And I'll tell you what, on display, there's, there's several mistakes. We're going to be talking this morning about Martha's mistakes. But first, I want to empathize with her because she's really in kind of a quandary. She's not a bad person. She's not a villain. She's actually a person of peace. I'm using that term specifically because remember when Jesus sent out his disciples and the 72 to go town to town? He told them to look in a village for a person of peace. Somebody who would take them into their house and provide room and board so they could do ministry in that area. That's who Martha is. She's doing it. She's a person of peace. And you know what? She's got, in the blink of an eye, she's got anywhere from 13 to 73 unexpected guests. How would you feel? All right, 13, because 12 apostles, the disciples, plus Jesus, that's 13. That's the minimum. But then he had 72. Remember the whole congregation he sent out? 72 plus Jesus, that's 73. Anywhere from 13 to 73 unexpected guests, let alone all the people from your village who are going to be stopping by to talk to Jesus. What if all of us just suddenly stopped by your house yesterday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning? How's your hair? Have you brushed your teeth? Do you have your makeup on? Uh, what, what about, you know, you're wearing the yoga pants that you only wear for sleeping, right? Only your family see you in that, and you're just distraught about it. How's your house look? 
Is your house tidy? Like the whole village is going to be in your house talking about this event for years to come. Right? In our day and age, like people would be taking selfies with Jesus and in the background, your family room. Like how well we all just go to your house right now. Now I know most of you are thinking, what's our house look like? Uh-oh. Right? Right? That, that's what's going on here. Man. And, and so Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, but not Martha. Martha is freaking out over this. What about food? Like, it's not only people in your house and your house being clean and decorated, but then there's also the issue of food. In ancient Near East uh, culture, the, the expectation of hospitality was very high. There was huge cultural expectations, even for unexpected guests, especially when there is an honored guest. And in this case, it's only the Son of God. Like history's all-time honored guest is in your house, and you need to feed all this crowd, food and drinks, look, you're not running to Giant Eagle to get a veggie platter, right? You just have to go into your kitchen and whip up a feast for 13 to 73 people, that's all. Just go get it done, no pressure. And you're in your kitchen, you're thinking, do I even have enough dishes? Oh, no problem, how about get out the paper plates? No, those won't be invented for 2,000 years. I mean, you're just on your own here. And so Martha is very well-intentioned. She is evidently a person of peace. And she and Mary become both very dear to Jesus. She's not a villain. She wants it to be nice for Jesus. And she's working hard. She wants to work hard for Jesus. That's awesome. But she does make three mistakes. Here are her three mistakes. Discipleship is only for men. Uh, the second mistake is weaponizing Jesus. And the third mistake is a distracted spirituality. And we'll talk through each of those three. Let's start with discipleship is only for men. Because that is a subtext in our story today. Maybe you didn't catch it. But, but you know, as we've been going through Luke, it's kind of a subtext throughout all of Luke. That is that uh, Jesus came and it changes everything. So the marginalized, those are the outcasts on the outskirts are welcomed in. That included women. Women were very devalued in that culture. Not honored, not respected, didn't have much to offer. That was the view. But not in Jesus' ministry. Jesus seems to have a very high honor and respect for women in his ministry. After all, if you look in our passage, it says she sat at his feet. To sit at the feet of is a euphemism for being a disciple of. A rabbi back in that day would never take a woman as a disciple. What a waste of time they would think. But here she is. Mary is in the family room sitting at the feet of Jesus. Only men would be there. Martha's in the kitchen where women belong. Go make me a sandwich. That would be the view of the culture that day. So Martha is in there, and Mary's out where only the men belong. And so Martha, while she is busting her tail, Mary's sitting on her duff, and Martha comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you care? Won't you correct her? Martha's doing the women's work, and Mary is acting like a man. She's acting like a full disciple. The goal, the audacity. And so Martha asks Jesus to correct Mary, and he doesn't. He corrects Martha. Huh, how about that? And Jesus is in that moment saying, I don't care that she's a woman. She's my disciple. She's made in my image. Like to be a disciple, it doesn't matter if you have an innie or an outie. 
And that's not about belly buttons. Think about it, okay? Like, how ridiculous. Think about, like, think about belly buttons. Like, if you have an Indian or an Audi, like, you can't be a disciple. That's ridiculous, right? Jesus is saying, look, it doesn't matter if she has an Indian instead of an Audi. She's my disciple. She's made in my image. Now, and yet, one of the interesting things is while Jesus will be wildly countercultural on this point, he also has an all-male team of apostles. Twelve guys. How about that? And so Jesus is simultaneously affirming male leadership in the church, and at the same time, he will never affirm anything less than full equality, full image-bearing, full personhood, full discipleship of women. Nothing less will do for Jesus. And some of the great, you need to know, some of the greatest discipleship at Redemption Chapel happens on Monday night and Tuesday morning. It's our women's Bible study. It's always been like that for our church. It's been a hallmark of our ministry from day one. And when the women get together, they don't quilt. They don't knit. They don't do cross-stitch or needlepoint or crochet or macrame. Like, it's none of the needle arts, right? You know what our women do? They dig deep in the Word of God. They always have in our Bible studies. And if anything, the men need to run hard to keep up with our women as far as being disciples in that aspect. Martha is making the mistake that discipleship is only for men, and Jesus says, no way, no way. Now, she makes a second mistake, and it is that she tries to weaponize Jesus. Now, uh, one of the things going on here is sibling rivalry. Parents, have you experienced this in your home? Right? It's always after dinner, right? Mom, Dad, make Caleb help me with the dishes. Caleb says, no way, I did them last night. Make Madison do it, right? And so then we get sucked right down into the immaturity. You will both do the dishes or you will do them for the whole neighborhood for a year. <laughs> yeah, right, like that's going to happen, right? But here's Martha all grown up, saying, Jesus, will you make Mary help me in the kitchen? Sibling rivalry. And what's going on in that moment is she is weaponizing Jesus. That is, trying to use Jesus as a weapon to correct others. Weaponizing Jesus. Martha tries it, and she ends up getting corrected. Maybe you'll start to notice in the Scriptures, every time somebody tries to weaponize Jesus to get him to correct someone else, they get smacked down. Every time. It doesn't work very well. And yet we still try it. We still do it. Don't we? In our prayer requests. Jesus, would you fix those people out there? And we shoulder up with our fellow Pharisees because we're pretty sure our poop don't stink. But all those nasty people, and we just need to weaponize Jesus and get him to correct them. We do it. I do it sometimes. I'll, I'll catch myself uh, when I'm at home with Shannon. I'm, I'm venting. I'm ranting about some group or some person. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit just smacks me right upside my head. And I turn to Shannon and I go, you know what? If everyone would just be more like me, then we'd all be in hell. Because I've gotten convicted and I'm repenting in that moment and going, oh my goodness, I'm trying to weaponize Jesus to correct other people. And here is Martha doing that. Jesus, will you please make Mary more like me? And there's Mary just trying to get to be more like Jesus. 
See, when you get around Jesus, there ought to be a visceral reaction in your soul. You ought to look at Jesus and look at yourself and go, holy crap, I'm a hot mess. God, will you fix me? But if instead you get around Jesus and you look at Jesus and you look at yourself and you go, huh, I'm pretty good. But Jesus, will you fix those idiots? That's not going to work out well. You are weaponizing Jesus. You see, Martha thinks the solution to her problem is Mary. Mary thinks the solution to her problem is Jesus. And so Martha is trying to weaponize Jesus. She's trying to get God to change Mary. Mary is trying to get God to change Mary herself. There needs to be a shift in our hearts from God, will you please fix those idiots? To God, I'm such an idiot. Would you please fix me? I've told you before, I'll say it again. Humility or humiliation, you choose. Because one of those is coming your way. It's over and over in the scriptures. You will either humble yourself and say, God, fix me. Or you will end up humiliated. Mary chose humility. Jesus, teach me. Martha ended up getting humiliation. One of those is coming your way. And so this mistake of weaponizing Jesus made me think of two areas in our lives. One is marriage. When a couple is having turmoil in their marriage, oftentimes the issue is he's the problem, she's the problem. Right? We're weaponizing Jesus. So they come to Pastor Jared or to myself, and, and the goal is to try to get the church to fix my spouse. We're weaponizing Jesus. And, and we know if we can just get them to the point of humility where each of them ends up saying, God, will you bless my marriage by fixing me? I'm the biggest problem with my marriage. If I can get both of them there, we're going to be golden. If not, there's not a lot of hope. Humility in marriage. And then the other area I thought of was the church. The church, because... We tend to put so much energy and effort into asking God to pass judgment on those people out there. Like as if the big problem is those fools out in our culture that are just ruining America. And Jesus, will you fix them? Let's weaponize Jesus and get them. And it's not only out there, it's right in here. The poor fools next to us in the pew. And what if instead, and I think redemption is this way, but I want to go here all the more. That we are a people like Mary sitting at his feet saying, Jesus, fix me. Every last one of us is a mess. We have more problems to worry about in our own lives. We don't need to worry about the sinners out there. Jesus, fix me. Let us not weaponize Jesus. That's a huge mistake. Martha did that. Her third mistake is distracted spirituality. And we'll spend most of our time on this one. Distracted spirituality is when you miss the big thing. Spiritually speaking, like the big thing's right there and she misses it. And when I, when I thought about that, I, I was reminded of this uh, video I've seen before. Maybe you've seen it on how a millennial does a, a marriage proposal. Right? You'll enjoy this. Watch this. I know. It's so insane. This is there's nothing better than this, right? This is the greatest. Unbelievable. Look at this. I can't believe I... Madison Marie, will you marry me? Babe. 
You hired a photographer, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Do you mind, um, do you mind actually coming a little bit closer? I just, I don't know if it's going to share that well. If it's like what? so far back. Madison Marie, will you marry me? This is still from the back. Do you mind if we just switch spots so that the camera's... Madison Marie, will you marry me? Oh, my, my hair's up and I didn't realize. Do you mind if you scoot back so we get the skyline in the background? Madison Marie. Cut. Sorry, I don't like my middle name. Uh, can I take a look at that? I just want to see if it's... I wanted this to be a surprise, but at least you could have given me a hint. I don't look good in any of these. Okay. I'm sweating right now, and this can't be good for my complexion. What are you talking about? The lighting is like really harsh. I probably look like a Picasso painting. It's... <sighs> Cloud-wise, what are you thinking? More? I yeah. Mean, so when you, when you turn around, is right. it already going to be open? Yes. Madison Marie. I'm already wearing it. Oh, wait, all right, take it. Okay. Give me the ring back, and oh, then we'll start okay. from the top. Okay, okay, okay. I read a blog. The perfect time for engagements is like 5 to 5.30. I'm trying to do something fun for you, and you ruin it. Ruin every oh my gosh, okay, I don't know if I can even do this anymore. All right, here we go. Well, you're gonna be that you're gonna be turned around, right. anyway, so I'll just start right. on my knee. Right, Thank you. You got a double chin in this one. Switching things up, we're gonna have camera guy here, sound guy right here, John. Continuity sake, right knee. I'm gonna go left hand. It's gonna be bigger, right? Can you Photoshop that? As soon as he opens the box, we're gonna have a sweeping zoom motion and then coming all the way up, revealing the beautiful skyline. I'm going to say yes, and it's gonna be great. All right, from top. Oh, it goes on for a little while, but you get the idea. Uh, she ruined it. I mean, they even said, used that wording. Like, you're ruining it in the moment. And, and I think that's exactly what Martha did. She made a big fuss out of the moment, and she missed it. She ruined it. She missed the big deal. I mean, it even says, look at the passage. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. That's distracted spirituality. And Jesus goes on to say, Martha, 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 Martha. Like, see, Brady Bunch stole that from Jesus. Okay, I'm just telling you. Jesus says, I know it's Marsha. It sounds better. Uh, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha is missing it in the moment. What does Martha care about? She cares about everything looking perfect. She cares about how does my house look? How do I look? Why won't Mary do what I say? Mary doesn't care about things looking perfect. She cares about the perfect one. And he's right there. And she's at his feet and she's saying, look at him. Is he looking at me? He's looking at me. What will he say to me? It's all about Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus is right there. And so Martha is working hard to get ready for Jesus, missing the fact that he's right there. He's right there, and she's missing him. Martha is going to have a Pinterest-worthy kind of party, right? And the house is going to be clean, and it's going to be well-decorated, and the food's going to be perfect, and all the napkins will be folded like swans. And she'll wake up the next morning and, and, and realize she missed Jesus. She missed Jesus. Larry Crabb had a great line uh, about sin. He said this. He said, sin is not just rule-breaking. It's wrongly directed passion. 
It's as if you looked at God and said, big deal, I want something else. So there's Mary saying, there's Jesus, that's exactly what I want. But Martha, not so much. Big deal, I want a Pinterest party. Do you know what Mary will end up getting? Jesus. She gets Jesus. Jesus called it, he used kind of strange wording. He said she gets the good portion. I think what he's doing there is he's alluding to Psalm 73. Toward the end of it, the psalmist is praying, and this is what he says. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I just want Jesus. That's it. It's like being drawn like a moth to a light. I just need to be near Jesus. I am so tired of my flesh. I'm so tired of my sin. I'm so tired of my temptations. I'm tired of my frailty. I'm tired of this world. I just want Jesus. And Mary found him. And what's wild is that Jesus wants me. That he wants me to be his disciple and just sit at his feet. Men and women alike to just be his disciple. He gave me that privilege and that's mind-blowing. Mary has found exactly what her soul craves. And she's drinking deeply. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I came from. I'm not taking that away from her. No way. See, Martha has distracted spirituality. She's worried about so much. You know what Mary's worried about? Jesus. That's it. Being with Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, loving Jesus, being changed by Jesus, enjoying Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And one of the interesting things is that both Mary and Martha think they are doing exactly what Jesus wanted. I mean, you notice Martha went up to Jesus feeling good about herself, saying, hey, you're going to correct Mary, right? She's pretty sure she was on, on the money. Martha thinks she has to earn Jesus' love. So she's working hard at it. Mary is sitting under the unearned love of Jesus. And Martha thinks that Jesus wants her work. Mary thinks that Jesus wants her, period. He just wants her. And she's having a great time with him. As I was thinking this week about this passage, it reminded me of kids with big disabilities. We have families in our congregation who have some children with disabilities, some mental, some physical. One of the interesting things is when you look in that family, sometimes the greater the disability the more love tends to circle around and focus on that kid. Have you noticed that? Now that kid can't do anything for the family in some cases except give love and relationship, and it's enough. And if anything, it's, and I struggle for the right language, but it's, it's the quote-unquote normal kids that wonder if they're loved in that family. The disabled kids don't wonder that. Why do we think God's different than that? Why do we think that he doesn't want our relationship? He wants our work. 
And so here we are, we feel so damaged, we feel disabled, and we're just convinced if I can just work harder, if I can just overcome my disability, then I can work hard enough to earn my family's love, to earn my father's love. Doesn't work that way. He just loves us. He just loves us. What this is highlighting is the difference between religion and relationship. And I want to give you a list of contrasts on that. Religion is all about my work, what I do. Relationship with God is all about Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. Religion says I am valuable for what I do. Relationship says I'm valuable for who I am. I'm made in the image of God and bought with the blood of Christ. I'm valuable, period. Religion is where I earn God's love. Relationship says, no, 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 don't you understand? Jesus already did that for you. That's relationship right there. Religion says, serve a distant God. Now notice, Martha's in the kitchen serving. Jesus is in the family room. She's serving a distant God. A relationship like Mary is loving an intimate God who's right there in my life. Religion is all about duty and obligation. Relationship is about joy and worship. And then religion is that God is still deciding. What I mean by that is the jury's out. I'm not really sure. There's no security. He might decide to like me, might not. So I better work harder. But relationship is secure. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. He has already adopted me as his child, and his love securely settles on me. See, religion is that if I work harder, I can justify myself, I can cover my shame. Oh, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But relationship is that only Jesus can justify me. Only he can cover my shame. See, only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, and it won't be taken from her. If you miss this, You are spiritually distracted. You might think you're spiritually mature, but you're not. So here's what religious people do. They cover up their spiritual immaturity, their lack of intimacy with God, with more and more religious activity and service and volunteering and duty. I mean, let, let me ask you this. If you walked into a church, who would you think is more spiritual, Mary or Martha? And if we're honest, don't we walk into church, we see all the Marthas working like crazy, and we go, there's a, there's a very spiritually mature person. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's the Marys who are just sitting under his feet and learning. Sometimes our tendency is to disguise spiritual immaturity as spiritual maturity through working hard at religion. And Shannon and I knew that when we were headed into ministry, the first year of our marriage, we knew we were headed there. We memorized this passage from Luke. And we have applied it so little during the years because it is so easy to confuse ministry activity with spiritual maturity and they're not necessarily equal. To exert so much effort serving God and so little time just enjoying Him. I realize when I get ready to preach, you know, for my sermon, it is much more important that my heart is right than that my notes are tight. 
Much more important. And I know the biggest gift that I can give to Redemption Chapel is a pastor who intimately walks with Jesus. And not just me, but it's a value on our staff team. We, we submit monthly staff reports. At the very top of the list is how often have you been spending time with Jesus and are you meeting with him with intimacy? Isn't that their personal lives? Yeah, but it counts because if that's not there, that's going to hurt our team and our ministry. It's so very important that we start there. Now, do I still work? <laughs> like a dog, you can ask my wife. But that's not what makes me spiritually mature. It's the moments like Mary where I just sit at my Savior's feet and soak it in. See, it's not that we don't serve. Like if you get in relationship with Jesus and you love him and adore him and he changes you, you'll end up serving. Look what happened with the 12. Look what happened with the 72. Look what happened with Paul. On and on it goes, of course we serve him. This isn't some Christian Woodstock where we just sit around singing kumbaya. I mean, that's not it. There's a mission, there's a kingdom, yes. But maybe it's an issue of order. Order of priority. Like for Mary, relationship came first, and then her heart being full with love for Jesus, she then served him out of an overflow of the heart. But not Martha. For Martha, service came first, relationship can wait. And so she went with duty and obligation, not joy. Not joy. And churches, if we're not careful, churches can be so full of Marthas. Oh my goodness. Serving, but bossy, impatient, judgy, sour. Church lady. Not what we're going for. All you SNL fans, yeah, you pinged on that. I get that. That's not what we're going for. These are people who are happy to serve, but not happily serving. Right? Get that? What about you? Why do you serve? Why do you give in the plate? Why do you go to Bible study? Why do you go to community group? Why do you do it? Are you reciting Martha's prayer? Here's Martha's prayer. Lord, look at all I'm doing for you. Look at my religious resume, Lord. Now you love me, right, Lord? What? Spend time with you? Maybe next month, I'm so busy serving you. Amen. And that's Martha's prayer. It's an issue of order. Which comes first? One of these two will be true. Look, Martha serves in order to be loved. Mary will serve because she is loved. And that second one is the gospel message. The first one is a bastardization of Christianity. One of those is joy and peace. The other is a mouse on a wheel just always working but never connecting with Jesus. One of those is relationship with God. The other is just religion. Just religion. And, and not only, we'll get this down, not only will it be healthier for Mary, but you understand in the long run, she'll outpace the Marthas. She absolutely will. Because the fuel of a relationship connected with Jesus, that is greater fuel than duty. And now I've said duty several times and nobody snickered and I'm way disappointed in all of you, okay? So there it is. What I want you guys to do this week, I want you to be a Mary. How can you be a Mary? What needs to happen at the beginning of the day, you need to shove it all back. I'm alluding to a quote from C.S. Lewis because I want this to be a good sermon, so I must quote him at some point. 
It's the way it works, all right? But here's what Lewis said. He said, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. In listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. Sounds kind of like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, doesn't it? Listen, if you're a Martha, I want you to know Jesus doesn't hate you. He's not against you. He's not mad at you. He's not condemning you. He loves you. Like if you look at Martha, he just wants Martha to get the good portion just like Mary. Put down your apron. Just come be with me. Spend time at his, at his feet. And what he, what he doesn't want is for Martha to put a checkbox on her religious task list that says devotionals, and she checks it off in her Martha way and fails to just intimately connect with Jesus. He wants the same for you. And I'm asking you this. This week, every morning, will you put a note on your nightstand if you have to that says shove it all back, and you get up and you shove it back, and you start the day, you connect sitting at your Savior's feet, and then you stay with Him all day long. You go on a walk with your friend hand in hand. You might be busy at work, but you will not be busy in heart. That's what I want for you, and let me pray for that. Jesus, we come to you right now, repentant, because it, it is so easy to look at the mistakes of our sister Martha, and I realize her sin is covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's a dear sister of ours who we will meet one day. Looking forward to that. But what we get to do this morning is to put her mistakes up on a screen and dissect them. And the reality is we make each and every one of those ourselves. And we repent of that. We repent of that. And Father, we, we don't want to live a distracted spirituality as if somehow we're mature because we're so busy for you. But we want to have true spirituality where we sit at your feet. We love you and we listen to you and we learn from you. Take us there, Father God, please. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.